Hey, and would you uh, open your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 2? And uh, if you're a note taker and you'd like to turn to the scriptures, I'm going to give you a heads up right now that we're going to go to Nehemiah 4 and 1 Peter 2, okay? So if you want to write that down and maybe skip there ahead of time so you can actually look extremely spiritual, um, because you already knew right where Nehemiah was. Um, Nehemiah 4 and 1 Peter 2, just keep that with you. Uh, I am one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, thank you guys for being here on a day when, I mean, look, let's be honest. Everybody woke up and thought, snow day. I mean, it didn't snow to tomorrow, but technically I can get a head start on my snow day uh, as evidenced by the empty chair. So I'm grateful that you guys came this morning and, uh, and hopefully we get a big snow day tomorrow uh, as a reward for that for you. In Galatians chapter two, let's start reading in verse six. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. This is Paul speaking of this uh, group that he had just encountered in Galatia. He had been gone for 14 years. In Acts 15, it talks about this council that all came together. They went and they got Paul and brought it back. And so Paul, speaking of what would be like the televangelists of his day, had they have had televisions, the, the Peter, James, John, he's like, if these guys, they appeared to be something, but it makes no difference to me because God shows no uh, personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he worked effectively in Peter, speaking of God, he worked really awesome things through Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, speaking of that group called the Jews that were in Jerusalem, that he also worked effectively in Paul, in me, towards the Gentiles. In verse 9, and when James, Cephas, which is another name for Peter, John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace. I love that. They perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, not the right foot of fellowship. Some of you have received that before. I have. Uh, they would go to the Gentiles, uh, and that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. They desired that only that we should remember the poor, the very things which I was also eager to do. Father, would you give us just insight into your word? That this isn't an academic exercise that we could actually hear from you this morning. That was your promise. Your promise wasn't that I, that Darren would be a light or a lamp, but that you, Father, that your word would be a light and a lamp. And so instead of diminishing your word this morning, Lord, we want to exalt it and to give it preeminence in our life, knowing that you speak through it then and now. In your name we pray, amen. Galatians is the manifesto from Paul on grace. It's his treatise on it. It's him saying, I'm putting my flag in the ground that this doctrine, that this idea from Jesus is extremely important. So important that it was worth getting into Peter's face over. And if you were here last week, you might remember I was talking about what it means to experience grace. And we looked at Peter who experienced an enormous amount of grace in his life. And if you break down the book of Galatians, it really breaks down very simply, very easily into chapters one and two was Paul's experience with grace. It's him saying, this is my experience. I did these awful things, but God forgave me and he's called me righteous. It's his experience with grace. And in chapters three and four, it's his education on grace. 
It's him saying, this is the doctrine of grace. This is how it works, his teaching on it. And so just like Peter had experienced grace, just like you and I have experienced grace, it's important that we understand it, that we get an education on it. And in chapters 3 and 4, that's the purpose of that. He's explaining to them this doctrine of grace. But chapters 5 and 6, and it's where we're headed eventually, is his being established in grace. Hebrews 13.9 says, I pray that you would be established in grace. Not that just you would have experienced it. We're all, we all experience it in equal measure. Not that just that I would know about it, but that I would be established in it. When I'm established in grace, it affects not just my walk with the Lord and how I experience God and how I pray. It absolutely, all those things. But being established in it means how I'm going to now respond to others around me. Being established in grace means I'm going to respond differently to my wife. Because grace is not about punishment. Grace is about getting what you didn't deserve. It's these good things in your life and not getting what you do deserve. Mercy. If I'm established in that, when John would say in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment is what he says. So if you want to love your wife like Christ loves the church, become established in grace. And as your, your response is not out of fear anymore because I'm going to be punished, but out of love and grace, it affects everything. I really felt the Lord leading us into Galatians because I feel like as a body of believers, as a, as a church, as a whole, as the body of Christ in general, that being established in this changes everything. I can't preach enough behavior modification sermons to do what Jesus can do through his grace in your life. That's why we're here. And as I was reading through this passage, I had these ideas of where I felt like I wanted to go this week. I was gonna nail this point and that point, but I was really praying last night and my wife asked, how's, how's preparation going for tomorrow? And I was like, uh, I don't know, because I don't, he was, like I just felt like I didn't, want, I, I didn't want to come say what I wanted to say, but I wanted to say what I felt like the Lord was saying, which incidentally should be every Sunday, right? And so this morning as I was praying and last night even, I was like, man, what are you doing? And I would encourage you, if you're looking for a good idea for Bible study, especially if you've been a Christian for a really long time, go through and study the parts that you have not underlined in the Bible. If every word is inspired, if every jot and every tittle is God-breathed, that means everything is there. And so this part, I was going to skip over. I was going to kind of breeze through it because I wanted to get to the good stuff, quote, unquote. But as I prayed about it last night and thought it through, and what would it look like not just, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks, of what it would look like for us on the ground level to be established in grace. How would we respond to each other and, oh, amazing things. But as I looked at this, I realized this was a church trying to figure out how to be established in grace with each other. Because what happens here is a picture, I think, a model I know for us, not even then, but today, on how we as the church can interact with each other. Because right now, basically, Peter is saying, man, look, it's the Jewish people. That's who God has called me to. That's who God should call all of us to. And Paul going, no, 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 it's about the Gentiles. I just spent 14 years doing this to this people here. And they come together and they basically are looking at each other saying, okay, well, look, here is the non-negotiable in our lives. 
the gospel, this gospel of grace, of Jesus Christ crucified, buried, raised again on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold. It's what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, when he talks about the gospel. It's first or second, just so you know, make a note and Google it later. <laughs> That's it, but if we can gather around that, then if God is gonna call one group of people to the Ukrainians, one group to Guatemala, one group to Haiti, one group to College Grove, we can all work together. My problem is, I, for years even as our church, I like to kind of say, well, this is how you're supposed to do it because this is how we're doing it. But that's not what they did. They were saying, look, we gave them the right hand of fellowship, saying, yeah, we, we love you, we love what you're doing there, and we bless you and we send you there. And you're blessed and you're going there. And so Paul and Barnabas and Titus went that way and Peter, James, and John went the other way and they loved each other. And I look at that and I think, okay, Peter, James, John, and Paul. Now think with me, put this in your pipe. Let's smoke it a little bit this morning and just see if this resonates with you. Because I was looking at these names and I think, man, these guys each represented their own personality, their own representation of who they are. And I look at Peter and Peter was a guy that really liked order. He was all about decency and in order. That was kind of what Paul was getting into his face about was, look, you've, you've traded, you've actually put your order and your rules and your regulations even above the gospel. But if we can put the gospel ahead of that, then look what Peter, what you think is important, go do that to the group of people that you're called to do it with. And Peter would look at it and say, you look at his, uh, his book, First and Second Peter, he talks about the offering of spiritual sacrifices, the spiritual priesthood, the, the, the bishop of our soul, even the language. It almost sounds like he's talking about what we would maybe call today like in the Anglican tradition, in the more traditional. And we have a great example of that with our own brothers and sisters, Shane and Christy Tucker. Maybe a handful of you had been around long enough to remember them. Shane rolled off the Irish uh, apple cart about four years ago into Middle Tennessee. He'd been the head of the Anglican Youth Ministry in Ireland for the previous 10 years. I actually didn't even know that was a job, if I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't know that was a thing. But that's what he had done, but he comes to Middle Tennessee because he feels like God had called him here. And Shane loves Jesus. Shane believes in the gospel. He believes in the freedom in Christ that God has given us. But you know what really speaks to him were the traditions of church. The smells and bells, if you will. The responsive reading, the organized, there's no surprises because we're on page 42 of the responsive reading this morning. There's no, there's the spirit is not going to move today because it wasn't in the thing ahead of time. So, but, but to them, that spoke to them. And so we were able to pray for Shane and his wife and say, hey, that's what the Lord is doing in your heart. And you guys believe and you love Jesus and you believe in that gospel we bless you and pray for you. And they are the uh, pastors at Four Wind Missions in uh, Spring Hill. He uh, went through and he got his little collar. I mean, dear God, I can't even wear a tie, let alone a collar. You know, it doesn't speak to me. <laughs> but I can have the freedom to say, just like Peter, which was more organized, more regimented. I, I, that's, if God's doing that in your life, I don't have to drive by your church building and be judgmental. I can drive by it and say, Christ be raised, Christ be glorified. That's what he's doing in their life. And I look at Paul, who, the apostle of candor, <laughs> right, the serious guy, 
in your face, the Spurgeon, if you will. And a lot of that we would fit in our world, like maybe it's the Acts 29 movement uh, of these guys that are more of the reformed. We actually came really close to joining up with the Acts 29 network five years ago or so. And and I just thought, you know, these guys, man, they're just really, uh, they're very serious. A lot of uh, dark rim glasses and designer jeans, and I, I mean, I'm this, like I can't do that. And so I walked away thinking, oh, this isn't, they didn't feel peace about it. I love what they preach. They preach Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected for our sins. But it wasn't our jet stream. It just didn't feel quite at home. We sat down, we did the theology test. They shine these bright lights in your face and these three guys with doctorate degrees just machine gunning it. There was actually the bright lights are a total lie. But I just walked away thinking, you know what? Thank God for that expression because somebody is watching doctrine. Somebody is digging deep and I thank God for those people. Because even in our community, there are churches that are making some decisions that the danger is that they're saying that the gospel is no longer the gospel. That you and I were born good. That there were, they, they would reject the notion of the fall. Which, why would Jesus have died to begin with? And they, they would reject those notions. That's being taught in, quote unquote, evangelical churches in our world. I'm not talking about them, by the way. I'm talking about if we can gather around the cross and say that in this world of these reformed churches, maybe the more Paul, that's awesome. Let God be glorified. Let Christ be raised as they help us to make sure that our doctrine is protected. And you look at John, the apostle of passion, the guy that 22 chapters of revelation, of prophecy. I was kind of born and raised in that environment. I don't know how many of you guys were Maybe some of you are still in that environment. I'm thankful for it. We have, uh, incidentally, I learned one of the biggest problems with having a fainting goat is that sometimes they faint and you don't know if they're dead or not. <laughs> so uh, we only have one fainting goat. She, uh, <laughs> I don't know, she fainted just a little too long. We're like, oh no. But, um, <laughs> but Benny Hinn is still alive. He's, he's fine. He's um, we named the other one Benny Hinn. But I was born and raised in this environment, and I look back on it for the longest part of my life with a sense of embarrassment. At our small group on Friday night, we were having, a, actually Mark and Melissa were there, and I can't remember, but at the table I was at, we were kind of having a, a good laugh at how, I was, how we were raised. Because many of you might remember that environment where you would um, you get, come down, you get prayed for, and you would fall. And I straight up remember, and some of this will make no sense, but some of you will make a lot of sense. I was in fifth or sixth grade when I faked a fall. <laughs> if you've never been around it, you go down and you get prayed for, and then there's catchers. That's actually a gig. Like in that, there's a, you have to have catchers, and they, if you fall, they catch you. And so I totally straight up 150% faked the fall. But something really bizarre happened because I went down there to get prayed for because I had kicked my big brother Dale with bare feet before, uh, like about a week before, maybe half a week before. And... Uh, just like a Robert's child, I broke something, and I broke my big toe in half, like snap sounding, like Rice Krispies. And as it turns out, your big toe is a super important appendage, especially when you walk. And so I walk down to the front, and uh, I get prayed for, and I fake the fall, and I'm laying down there asking myself the question that many charismatics have asked over the year, how long do I lay here before I can get back up again <laughs> and still appear spiritual? 
I don't know if we've ever reached a consensus on that, but it was about, it seemed like about two minutes. And, but as I'm laying down there on the floor, something weird happened. I bent my big toe. And it was healed. And I, I for years, thought that's just the strangest thing because I, I totally faked it. When I was 20 years old and I was questioning my, in my entire faith, questioning was there a God, I had a moment of like, oh, my big toe was healed. <laughs> and it sounds so dumb, but it saved my faith at that point. I'm like, oh, but he totally moved on my behalf. And so I say that to say that I'm really grateful for those types of relation, people that love Jesus. John Snow at Paytonsville Baptist Church. Man, he loves Jesus with all his heart, and he believes in the grace of God, and he is absolutely a brother. And I'm telling you, if you go there, you, someone will take a lap at some point in your service. You go with us to Haiti, there are lots of people doing that. There'll be a conga line at some point for Jesus. But that's the expression, it's the passion of John in that environment. How awesome is that? And I look at James, and you read James and think, man, if you're going to read James, first, put a helmet on. Because James, straight up, man, right down the middle. Faith without works is dead. True religion is feeding orphans and widows. And I think to us at Conduit, and I, what I resonate the most with has been that over the years. There's a reason why we have given away $1.2 million to feeding and clothing orphans and widows and building churches in developing nations because we really resonate with that stream. The reason that we took up a bunch of your parking spots on the coldest day of the year is because we want to make sure that our brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are colder than you today can have something to be given back to them, to wear some clothing for it. We're going all over the world into our own community because we just really believe in that. And that resonates with me. And I think that, man, of our personality, of our church, that's a big part of who we are as a church. And you might be thinking, Darren, I, I'm, you've really taken a lot of time to develop this thought this morning, and, and why would you do that? And I'll tell you, it's really simple why. Because if I'm established in grace, and you're established in grace... I can drive by First Baptist Hendersonville, which is a minor, I think it's got its own zip code. It's so huge. And it drive, uh, the first time I went by it, I'm like, I felt anxiety. I'm like, oh my gosh, how, how, oh God, someone's got to run that. And, but there was a point in my life where I would have driven by that with a sense of judgment, saying, look at all that money they're wasting. Look at all what they're doing. But being established in grace could say, oh, wait a minute, I'm not Holy Ghost Jr., if that's the expression, and as it, pray, look into it, man, if you're a senior citizen, you need a place to stay, and retirement years are coming, and you don't have the money, man, First Baptist Hendersonville, they got you taken care of. It, the, 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 all those buildings are paid for to try to reach people and to love people. I can drive by with no sense of judgment, because not that they're doing it wrong, but that's just not what God called me to do. And I wonder how many blogs would not be written if I'm established in grace and I could say, you know what? Christ is being glorified at this church up the street and they have a killer light show. They got a fog machine. And to me, that's not so, I don't much care for that. I made a living doing that for 20 years. And I know Jeremy says we don't have any lights, but I, I don't know if he noticed. 
Actually, I can't look at those because I won't be able to see you. But we got lights. If you want to keep your chicken warm during service, just hang it in front of those. We got, we got a light show. What are you talking about? Christ is being glorified at Cross Point Church with Pete Wilson and what God is doing there. Let me tell you, when we were out, when the flood happened with Conduit Church, and we were literally, we were at church for what, three weeks? We canceled services, and we were up helping people. You know, the, the church that I saw the most matching t shirts from was Cross Point Church because they were sending people into the community and doing stuff. Christ is being glorified there. And I'm taking time to develop this thought to say that as long as it is Christ that is being glorified, how merciful and how awesome is it that he would say, hey, I have a place for a group of people that really feel passionate about serving orphans and people, refugees in Ukraine, and I have a place for people at Thompson Station Church who really feel passionate about doing these huge outreaches into the community. I mean, how many of you guys have gone to Thompson Station when they did the big Halloween thing? It's awesome. God's doing great stuff there. That's just not what he called us to do. And being established in grace means I don't have to feel a heaviness when I drive by there. It allows us to say, hey, Peter, James, John, Paul, let me tell you what they did get serious about, and it was Jesus. It was about the gospel. It was about the word and not rewriting it, and those were important things. And I want to be clear this morning that I'm saying that at Conduit, this is the word of God. This is what we will always hold as preeminent to making our decisions. If God speaks to us and it disagrees with what this word says, we go with the word, not with what I say. And I would encourage you all to be like the Bereans that talks about in Acts, which is to go to the scriptures and make sure that what I'm saying is true. Every one of you should. It's a great exercise on your way home. That sounded great. In fact, somebody from Wednesday night, uh, our small group Friday night, says, you know what you said, this thing about Jenna? I didn't really see it that way. And you know what? I was totally cool with it. Because she went home and studied it. I thought, that's awesome. That's what we should be doing. But I take this time this morning for us as a church to say, there's a lot of freedom in being established in grace. I can even look to our own church and say there are expressions of Peter, James, and John, and Paul, all of us here. I mean, our Sunday studies, this is a little bit of Paul coming at us. Sue has given me words that she felt the Lord had given her that totally were right on and spot on, and some of you have experienced that. There, there's definitely the John expression around here. And I think to us as a church, and what is the Lord saying to us as Conduit Church? And, and I wonder if what it allows us to do, being established in grace, the idea that I don't have to earn God's love, that I'm totally forgiven, that I, my identity is as a son, is I get to let dad take care of the stuff that he needs to take care of and I get to just go about being a child of the king the way that I'm born. How many of you guys listen to the radio on the way to church? There's still a radio. You understand it's not just Pandora, right? There's actually a radio now that you can, still there. Someday those will be like in the Smithsonian. But for this morning, and some of you probably, you know, I'm sure, you know, Brian listened to probably some bizarre cure, I don't know, from the 80s. Uh, I, I, James probably listened to Celine Dion on the way in. Um, Brittany. Brittany. <laughs> Didn't have to admit that. 
on the, the, what I'm getting at is that we all have, there's different radio stations because there's different people in our community. There's different styles. There's different, I just, I'm the way I am. I listen, I'm embarrassed. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I listen to NPR quite a bit. My kids hate it. <laughs> my kids are like, Dad, can we listen to music? But that's how I'm wired, and that's how I'm bent. So when I say to church, Jesus is the music in this metaphor. The gospel is music. As long as it's the gospel, you're going to have a different style. Maybe they got a different style of the street. But we can all come back to Jesus with some peace and refreshment and say, man, those brothers and sisters at Harpeth Community Church, be praying for Josh Patrick, one of the pastors there, the teaching pastor who was just diagnosed with cancer. We can, we can say, let's pray for Josh because what they're doing is an expression of Christ that's important to us. But I wanna say this. Whether you're a Peter expression, a James expression, a Paul, whatever, might we not name even our doctrines after a person but only Jesus? Might we not exalt our method but only Jesus? Our mode of way the Lord has called us is not exalted but Jesus is exalted. I don't wanna be a James church or a John church or a Paul church. I wanna be a Jesus church. And for those of you that maybe you've come this morning, and there are several of us in this world, and this is where I'd love for you to turn to First Peter, because I would love for you to underline this and not forget about this. That some of us have come to this from churches in the past that maybe, you know what, I, I wasn't, that didn't really go well for me. That, that, that this pastor failed me. That this, I got hurt here. And I would say to you that being established in grace means that, you know, Maybe I don't need to write a blog about that dude. Maybe I can just offer him the same grace that Christ has extended to me. But this is what I wanted to bring to you this morning that Peter, 1 Peter 2, says that we are coming to him as a living stone, verse four, rejected indeed by men, this is Jesus coming, but chosen by God and precious, verse five, and I love this, and you also as living stone, plural, not singular, plural, living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit when we come together. There's a metaphor of the, of the tent, of the tabernacle of us, but when we come together as a church, as brothers and sisters, that's when we become the temple of the Holy Spirit together. Your living stone, my living stone, together, this is the temple. The building is just keeping us warm. But together we make up that. And why that is important, why it's critical, is that many times, and some of us, maybe what we found ourselves was in a church that was just a different expression of what God has in my heart. And so I became wounded because that expression wasn't their expression. And you know what? Some of it is because maybe the guy was a jerk. I'm a jerk, what, 20% of the time? Higher, 30? No. In any one of our days, we're gonna make mistakes. And let's say I make mistakes 10% of the time. That means there's gonna be 30 people here that I'm gonna make a mistake with. You're going to have a reason to be offended by me. I won't even be able to explain it. I'll just be able to say, that's totally true. I didn't call you back. You're right. You'll have a reason to be angry with me. But grace says, I'm gonna give you what you didn't deserve. I'm not gonna give you what you do deserve, mercy. A church established in grace and mercy means we're gonna offer that to each other. But my point, and what I really wanna bring back home is that if you've been burned, one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that now I need to go home. 
now more than ever in our world, there are brothers and sisters that are not just, they're not walking away from the Lord, they're walking away from church. And my hope this morning is that you could pray and say, this is the, the Lord has called me to this place with this expression, if, the, if that's what he's doing, in fact. And that staying home means that my living stone is now separated from everybody else and the enemy has won. Being established in grace means I get to walk on and offer the same grace that Christ offered to me, even to a spiritual leader who might have hurt me. Nehemiah chapter four, the temple was being rebuilt. God had called the people of Israel back to Jerusalem after being gone for 70 years. And you might remember the story of Nehemiah and Ezra building with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other as they're rebuilding this. But look what he says. This this enemy king said, when Senballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and indignant and he mocked the Jews. And listen to what he said to them. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and he said, will these, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they complete it in a day? And this underline, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, the stones that are burned? If you have been burned by a church, if you've been burned by a leader, you are the perfect material for God to build a church with. They were using the burned stones, the stones that were burned legitimately by Babylon to rebuild the temple. And if you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit together, becoming established in grace doesn't mean that it evens the score. It just means I'm gonna trust God to figure that stuff out. And I'm gonna come together with this other expression and this together and this thing, maybe we're gonna be a James expression of Christ or a Paul expression, but ultimately we're gonna be a Jesus church glorifying Christ, living stones coming together, even the, especially the burned ones. Don't let the enemy keep you home. Don't let the enemy pull you away because you've been hurt, even if it's a legitimate one. His desire is to build up this kingdom, this temple, with you and I broken and burned and build us together and together we become this expression of Christ in our community, whether it's sending stuff to Ukraine, in Guatemala, in College Grove, but together it's Christ glorified with us being together, being his temple. I can't think of a better way to grow old than that. In the first service, uh, Connie Scheutzer on the way out the door was talking to Ron and Connie and she said, you know, it's great. This word was really good for me this morning because all these churches I've been a part of my whole life, I realized, wow, there's a, part, there's a place for them. And I love what she said, and I'm, this is kind of bragging, I guess. It's a little self-aggrandizing, and I don't mean it to be, but it is what it is. But she said, but I feel like they were all there, but it all led us to here. Like, I've, this is our people. Like, I've found uh, this is what we've, they, all those things mattered, but it all led us to where God wanted us here. And I look back and say, hey, there were churches I was in where, This went great, this didn't, but it all was part of God's, at that point, that expression, and he's led us to here today, and my hope is that as conduit, we can be that for each other. I'm certainly gonna let you down. You're gonna let each other down. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks, but as it relates to us as a church, when you're driving home today, and you see a church that, man, I don't understand that. Are they preaching Christ? Are they glorifying him? Are they holding to the truth of the scriptures? Pray for them. Think, man, I wonder what God's doing in there today. Graceland across the street. That's a different expression of what I'm, that's different than me. Doesn't make it wrong. 
It just means that that's the, that's the station I'm tuned into. I'm tuned into this one, and they're tuned to that. We could all together accomplish. Th- Does this make sense? <sighs> I hope so. Worshippers, would you come back? <laughs> Jesus said, if I be lifted up, not if Darren be lifted up. The only reason I'm on this dumb platform is because you can't see me in the back. But when Paul was talking about it at the beginning, those leaders, it was not about them being lifted up. He actually said they, they, they seemed like they were something. But playing field in front of the cross is level. If Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. Not if Darren is lifted up. And when we sing those words, remember that when Jesus said that, he said it spoke, John said it, he spoke these things in the manner of which he was to die. So as we lift Christ up, it sounds great in a song, that's what it's talking about is the cross the finished work of the cross as a church I want us to lift Christ up and one of the greatest ways we lift Christ up is he said do this often in remembrance of me speaking of the Lord's supper take this bread this body is broken for you this blood this water uh, this juice was wine my blood spilled for you I feel like it's the, he asks us to do it. It's almost like a, a, a chiropractic adjustment. <laughs> Every time we come, it pops us back in. Like, oh, that's right. Because I remember it was about Christ and what he did. It's not about being a conduit church. It's about being a Jesus church. And I'm lifting him up. Not my method, not my movement, not my man, but my Jesus. Father, would you give us wisdom and insight this morning? Oh, Lord, that we could be a conduit church, but that we could be a Jesus church we will hold to your scriptures, that we will hold to your truth. We would be established in grace and experience the freedom that it brings to us. Lord, for our brothers and sisters at at Gateway Church and at the Gate and at Generations Church and at Thompson Station Church and Graceland Church that are bringing Christ bringing you and glorifying you, Lord, would you be with them today, with our brothers and sisters at Four Winds and Paytonsville Church, Lord, you be glorified there and together. We get to be conduits of your grace. And for us personally this morning, those specifically that maybe come here this morning a little burned by a past experience, Could we lay that down before you and become established in grace? Experience it, educated, yes. Established in it that we could then lay it down. Forgive maybe a leader that hurt me or forgive the situation that I was in that I, even the part I played. Just Lord, just we put it down saying, you're glorified, your grace, your righteousness covers it all. And today we come to your table and remind ourselves of that, that it's not us or not Darren, or not some church, but you that is lifted up. In your name we pray.